So this evening I'd like to share with you some reflections on the use of of similes in the Buddhist teachings and practice. Some of you were here in July. I was sharing a bit on that then. And it's a continuing exploration uh, for me at the moment. And so I really hope that some of these reflections might be helpful to you in your own practice. It started when uh, Jaya Rudgard invited me to teach with her at Gaia House and she wanted to focus on the Buddha's similes. And I was like, okay, right, uh, okay, Jaya. So we did that in, in June. <laughs> and it's, it's really um, kind of catalyzed both a renewed or a sort of deepened appreciation of the power of simile, metaphor, image in the Buddhist teachings and in more contemporary teachers and also just in what bubbles up in each one of us um, that helps us, it helps to uh, deepen the practice, to further the practice. And as some of you may know, in the, in the early suttas, there are hundreds of these, if not thousands, that the Buddha really used them a lot. And so I'm going to just share. I, I, in preparing this talk, I was um, struck by a, an image, a simile, that I, sometimes comes to mind in the pre- preparation of a talk, which is chasing peas around a plate. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, that one, that one, that one. Oh, get that one back off the floor. Oh, dear, I squashed that one. I need some potato to mash them all together. Anyway. So, part of this is also uh, an ongoing inquiry into, you know, if you like, the the, the perils and pitfalls of of imagery. Perhaps I was just, you know, we can get a bit carried away with them. And that that they can be a kind of a proliferation and, as you know, part of how we suffer in a way like, so I, I've really been, and I feel like this is an ongoing inquiry of, I mean, it's probably relevant to all the teachings, how we use carefully, how we use, we pick up and we use and then we, we put aside when it's not useful anymore, right? So the teachings are also something to let go of, which is, I think, you know, part of the radical nature of the, of the Buddha's teachings, so don't, you know, you can cling to this while it's helpful, but then let go of this too. So um, I wanted to share a, a simile from the, the Buddha, which is kind of relevant. Maybe you know it. And I won't, I don't think I'm going to kind of pick apart the, the similes too much. I want to kind of, you know, see, invite you to really see what resonates Right to kind of there might just be one little image or part of an image that, as you sit and you listen in that kind of you know, grounded, spacious way, we really listening deeply. There might just be you know one or maybe two or just sort of to in that spirit of um, seeing what seeing what what what's resonant and. Letting it go, I, I I did prune it quite a bit, so we'll see how it goes. There's still quite a lot I want to share. So here's a simile that Jaya and I shared in in our retreat, which is an example of one of the many many ways that the Buddha uses similes, 
And that was really interesting to me, getting sort of looking at these different images and comparing this to that, is actually there are many different sort of purposes that can be served by the the skillful use of simile and image and metaphor, um, all in the service of the understanding and ending of suffering, right? So there's our great... You know, for me anyway, it's like that, the great purpose within which all of our other little mini purposes kind of find their, find their place. So this is a simile where it gives us, it offers us a unified sense of quite a complex process, right? a kind of overview. And there are some different ones, I'm not going to share them all. Um, And the one I want to share, and just for you to sense that, um, yeah, how this kind of, there's a kind of way in which it encompasses, it kind of holds like a lot of, yeah, kind of like the whole path in a way, kind of in this beautiful kind of, you see I'm groping for a simile here you know, like a a beautiful vessel, bowl or something, a simile of a simile. Um, So in the simile of the raft, the Buddha describes practicing the Dhamma as being like building a raft out of the materials to hand. That's the first part, building a raft out of the materials to hand. And then crossing a wide river. (laughs) A wide, (laughs) a very wide, (laughs) extremely wide river, especially in times of flood. Uh, I'm adding that, by the way. It's just a little bit of emphasis there. Using our hands and feet to propel us. Isn't that, isn't that I just, that's maybe my favorite bit. I you see people now sometimes on those, some sort, of, some sort of board on the sea, and they're doing this, and then their legs go like that, and they're, anyway, various combinations of hands and or feet. <laughs> um, and finally, Reaching the safety of the further shore. That's not quite the end, which really struck me when I read this in the Sutta. We reached the final shore, you know. For, for me, if you pause there, it's just like, oh, you know, I just kind of done it. That's it, you know. Like. But then it, it goes on. We lay the raft aside and continue on our way. Yeah. So, you hear how, I mean, there's just, in a way, a whole world of practice in that. So, maybe one of the skillful means with these um, um, amazing similes is some reflection. You know, that's something I could imagine spending a whole month... (laughs) reflecting deeply 
on the whole thing in each piece, yeah? So we can really contemplate the ones that we're drawn to or the ones that, that speak to us. Um, so that's, that's one. So I also um, want to share with you, uh, I looked in the dictionary because I wanted to make sure I was, knew what I was talking about. Um, well, it confirmed what I kind of thought. So let's just kind of clarify a bit what a simile is. So um, this is what a dictionary said anyway. A figure of speech in which one thing is likened to another dissimilar thing. by the use of the word like. And what struck me when I read that in the dictionary, I thought, right, it's not like to like. It's not something similar. It's something dissimilar. So it creates a kind of a gap. And I'm like, what? You know, how is it like a raft? Is it like a raft? Uh... Yeah, so, so there's a reflective space. There's almost like a, the way a simile actually invites inquiry and reflection. I found this really, rather than saying, you know, it is, it's, uh, yeah, you know, you do this and it's like this, you do, you, you yeah, sorry, it's, it's not, rather than telling us this is that, it's saying this is like that. Doesn't that immediately open up a bit more space for sort of, well, is it? How is it? So, um, and just to add, because I was, I was going along for several weeks wondering what the difference between a simile and a metaphor was. And I thought, I'll see what the dictionary says. And it said it's, that a simile is distinguished from a metaphor in that compar- the comparison is made explicit in a simile. So, for example... I might say, I am a raft. Or I might say, I am like a raft. Or we might say, you know, practice is like a raft. Or it is a raft. So if you say practice is a raft, the, 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 it being like a raft is sort of implied. Anyway, there's probably more to understand about that. But I hope we can have a kind of, just a sense of, we're working with images and how they can help to describe, explain, express in a way that um, helps, supports understanding and inquiry. And so see, see if this makes sense to you. One thing that I started to realize, like that the Buddha, for example, a simile, there are lots of similes for mindfulness different ones which is interesting isn't it it's not one thing because nothing is one thing Um, one of the similes for mindfulness is that it's like it's like the watchful presence of a cow herder if you know that one again so to me there's a sense of oh how, what is that about? So maybe there's some benefit from, you know, I was reading, so the, the cow herder is 
during the times when uh, the cows might tread on the you know the the young shoots of the crops it's like that cow herder is much more watchful needs to really the cows are coming the, the cow herder needs to go and like no no over here cows and then during the time when the crops have been harvested the cows can kind of wander around you know it's not harming anything so then the cow herder is more leaning back against the tree and kind of just still watching but not so there's not so much of a sort of active kind of involvement and so both of those maybe even in that one simile there's sort of potentially two different or that the watchful presence that mindfulness is like actually is responsive to different conditions so you know I think that's there's something about the dynamic quality of mindfulness and it's not always you know one way and there's a kind of responsiveness in that and so um, sometimes it's 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 like it's uh, I think it's likened to being when when the mind is very you know calm and still and full of sort of steadiness and wholesome qualities it's more like the watchfulness when you're leaning against the tree there's really not that much to do just keeping an eye on things and then the when the cows are you know there's a kind of more danger of things being trampled is like when the mind is a bit more disturbed so there's a bit more need to kind of okay let's go over here so just as as an example of you know i don't know if that's i mean hopefully these are of practical value so we can hmm okay what would it what would it be to kind of be sitting back in that way and just watching support of the tree trunk and maybe we don't really know what somehow we're maybe at present we don't really feel that so we can use the image to to help us to get the sort of feeling of that or the felt sense of that so what does what does mindfulness feel like and um yeah this connection between perhaps sometimes what what we don't know and what we do know so this was another thing that struck me a lot with the the buddha's um similes that he would um if you if you look at these it gives you a sense of him at least for me walking around northern india and really really observing really looking really seeing the life the life of people the life of nature and then using what people know about to help them to understand what they don't know about yeah so that sense of maybe using the cow herd or imagine that maybe he spoke to people who heard cows so that would be a resonant a resonant image for them they would get a sense of what that what that means um for them so an image that maybe helps us to uh, opens a learning pathway because I'm going to talk more about this in relation to compassion next week but because I think 
that's helped helped me so much with imagining a being who for me embodies a lot of compassion and I don't it, it feels like it it, um, it it creates a pathway. It's like I don't fully understand or know or but I have that sort of there and it creates a sense of possibility or like a, something I can I can learn more about. Um, yeah, and maybe with um, many different many different heart qualities or any kind of wholesome factor. So, um, so I wanted to share also um, the Buddha's image, which you probably, you may well know, of an image, one of the images he offered around right effort with using the musical instrument, the lute. So um, the story around this image is that um, a person, a practitioner, comes to the Buddha asking for help and advice. Um, And um, because he's been doing so much walking meditation that... um, his feet are bleeding. And the teaching the Buddha offers is, yeah, just, I guess, this sense of the compassion and the care and the wisdom of sort of giving this person, not telling him off for being so, you know, whatever, unskillful. But then just talking, offering this image that right effort is like tuning a lute musical instruments, strings, and if they're tuned too tight, yeah, the strings will break and you can't make the music. Or if the if the strings are too loose, yeah, you you can't get any sound out of the instrument. And yeah, that just that sense of inviting reflection rather than just kind of saying, you know, do this, don't do that. Although the Buddha does that as well sometimes, but we're just talking about similes here. So yeah, just as another example of how a simile can function like a, yeah, like a a support to, to discerning kind of helpful, skillful action. Okay, so I've talked quite, I've offered quite a lot of different um, similes from the Buddha, and I thought I would veer off a little bit because when I was teaching with this retreat with Jaya, we were also including teachings and images and similes from other teachers and other traditions and kind of, again, trying to kind of invite this sense of drawing on what's helpful. And um, I think that one of, the, one of the functions of similes, which when I told you about the chasing the peas around the plate, I could feel like it invites empathy. It invites empathy. It's kind of, oh, it's like that. Yeah, I get a feeling of how that is, and then I can empathize more with that experience, get some sense of it, and oh yeah. Um, And of course poetry does this really well. 
So I wanted to share share a poem, just as one example, one example of how um, we can express, as well as you know, hear some other person's you know words and expression, um, and we can um, maybe have a sense of how in the poem I want to read, I think there's something very much about metta, loving kindness in it, that's, that's kind of translated into the language of the heart, maybe you could say, um, so that it's not just the idea or the concept or the word, but again, it's like it has this sort of empathic, reflective um, invitation and... Yeah, this, again, different for different people, different kinds of things connect or don't. So with that in mind, it's a poem I read a lot when I teach. It's Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you, like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. So I'll I'll put that on the board for anybody who'd like to refer to it. but you could hear the metaphor and then the simile, this last one that I think stands out as I'm reading it now because we're looking at this. It's like, what is experience like? What does it feel like right now to be alive? Mm. I nearly, I, I almost brought in some of my little drawings because sometimes, I don't know if you ever do this, it's little drawing of state of the mind. Or, you know, just, it's like, a, oh, then an image comes out or some scribbles. It's, it's, it's uh, again, that way of, of, of allowing the heart to express itself. Okay, so let's see. So another way, another way that the Buddha uses uh, similes, which can give us a, a kind of a, a sense of a different way of seeing, maybe a way of 
seeing experience that is uh, less prone to dukkha, less prone to the generation of stress. It kind of undermines that kind of process. So um, maybe you know the teachings of the five aggregates, this one way of kind of um, describing aspects of our experience. And I just want to kind of lift out the first one, which is the, the body. And in one of the suttas, the, the simile that the Buddha gives for um, a way of, of seeing, seeing the body, which is helpful, which is conducive to uh, freedom and yeah, the end of suffering, is to see or view or understand or sense uh, the body as if, yeah, or like, as if it were like uh, a lump of foam floating on a river. And again, there, there, there he is by the Ganges or some other river, you know, watching, looking. And, and, and that's another thing that so interests me about how images come, meaningful images kind of arise sometimes, don't they, out of what we're looking at in, in the physical world, so to speak. Things just rise. And I, who knows, I imagine him sitting there and, you know, just watching this. And that's like the body. <laughs> who knows? But just... Again, being able to bring something that, that all the people in that area would have seen many times. And when a while ago when I was reflecting on this image and those different ones for the, all, each of the five aggregates, I went for a walk and it was in winter and the stream down Pleasant Street was running. And there was, you know, it's not always water in it. And there was water in it and there were these blobs of foam. I was like, yes, there it is. And I'd never really noticed it properly before. And you, do you know what? I don't know if you've ever seen. It's like a little blob of foam, you know, which is really a collection of bubbles, of water bubbles that have sort of stuck together. And, the, you know, the, they, they, they tend to start off the water has been all stirred up and then they float along and then, you know, it kind of goes down another rock or something and it kind of dissipates. Or you watch it for a little while and you can see one bubble go, you know, and then oh, so the blob of foam is still there. And I thought, that feels like the aging process. <laughs> just, bubbles keep going, oh, there goes another one. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> well, okay, what's left? There's a little bit left, you know. Oh, there he goes. And, um, yeah, so the body at death dissolves back into the water, which I always find a rather encouraging thought. How lovely to go back into all of that. Yeah, so the blob of foam floating on the river, and you know that lovely sort of exercise you can do where you just, it's like, like that, it's like this, you know, bodies like that, yeah. Well, again, how, how is it like that? Is it like that? And I found when I really thought about it, not so, God, it really is like that. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, and if you're interested, you can look up the other images. They're, they all have this same kind of, oh, you know, kind of invite you to consider, is, is it like that? 
or when you see in that way, you know, how does experience look or feel? Like, does it change? You know, and I think that's, you know, part of... We think something is so solid, so it is. Or it feels like it is, right? And you see, you know, I sometimes do this with this really stuck stuff. I don't know if anyone else has stuck stuff, you know, in their system, where just things feel hard and solid. And, 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 and to actually sort of practice... Oh, okay, this this is like that blob of foam as well. What if I, you know, just start to see it like that? Does something, what happens? See see what changes in, in our experience when we do that. And just um, to touch on, like, I, 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 I feel like I could spend many, many talks on this, but I, I won't probably, but... So many spiritual traditions and other traditions like poetry and psychology and literature have these these wonderful, um, you know, kind of gems in them, which, you know, these similes, these images that help. And I was really actually surprised recently. It was only about three weeks ago or so. I found an image in a Christian teaching so like that blob of foam so I want to share it with you it's from um, the book of James in the the Christian teachings and this is this is the quote from from that what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes hmm yeah, the same, the same wisdom, maybe. It's just I was so struck by that. There, you know, it's 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 there too. And this, you know, what what what? Not that we need to always see ourselves or our life or others in that way, but maybe it's like one of the ways we can. Uh, learn to see experience like to see how that can help to help to um, yeah to 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 alleviate the suffering even end the suffering so the Buddha offers so many different uh, similes to help with the cultivation of the mind and the heart you know different mental qualities, heart qualities. And one I, I love is the um, teaching, one of the teachings that he gave to his son, Rahula, in the Advice to Rahula, which is in the Majjhima the middle-length sayings. can't remember the number. I think it's 68, but I'm not sure. Where he says to Rahula among all these different, different ways of kind of developing uh, the mind, that kind of malleability, flexibility, different senses. And this one, so he says, he says to Rahula, develop a mind that is vast like space, where experience both pleasant and unpleasant can appear and disappear without conflict, struggle or harm. So maybe sometimes 
maybe some of you do this, this sense of connecting with a sense of spaciousness, spaciousness of the mind. You know, that we could say that aspect of it. Or even as it, you know, as the Buddha says, vast, like space. And seeing the arising and passing of phenomena kind of like within that. So that, again, the dukkha pulls in so much, doesn't it? Kind of smallifies. That's not a word, but anyway, you know what I mean. Smallifies. Um, you know, so that our, our life sort of like just contracts to like this. And then, so the contractedness might still be there. We can't just, you know, magic it away. But when you put, you just connect with a sense of space around that. Isn't that so different? Like immediately there's a different sense of relationship to that. Or maybe space around everything. Maybe space around what's really pleasant which tends to take up more space, I think. So then you have to get even bigger to really, to let that also be held in, in awareness. Vast like space. And I, I sometimes hear, I, I bring uh, the big mind meditation that Joseph Goldstein does. You know, the big sky mind. Just a really lovely example of this as a sort of, meditative cultivation. So, maybe just, I'm not going to share too much more. So, similes can help us in our practice. It can help to open up space for reflection, for learning, invite investigation or inquiry, can inspire and encourage, can Uh, create empathy, um, can give us some sort of unified sense of a complex process, can can sort of guide us, you know, help us discern uh, what's helpful, can help us to see in ways that... um, help to free the mind from ignorance and and stress. So we can we can notice what resonates, you know, particular images. Or like I said, you know, sometimes we see something and it, it just comes forward to us with a kind of a a kind of a a message or a teaching. It might be something just around here, a particular tree or an animal or just somehow, right, that that you see and you hear and then there's something in the mind kind of finds a teaching in that. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about being in a place like this. Like There's so much, the plants, the, the Buddha Rupa, I remember... Early in my practice, I used to just look at the Buddha Rupa and imagine that he was encouraging me. <laughs> right? So we can, that's, you know, it's like that's what I was, because I, I never connected very easily with these statues. And I remember some retreat just staring at it and thinking, well, you know, I'm not getting anything. 
or, you know, come on, give me something. <laughs> and then something, something kind of, you know, clarified. And, I'll, oh, encouragement, encouragement. Oh, thank you. And then I could, and then it was really alive and it really, and I feel like a place like this, see, the floors can encourage you. You know, there's so much, the, be- the patterns of the wood in the doors. And I just, maybe this is true everywhere, in the city, on the bus. You know, it's really how receptive we are to what is here. Like the Buddha sitting by the Ganges going, that's, that's just like the body, you know. It's like, oh. And, you know, that we don't have to... Um, know it all first or borrow it from someone else just sometimes lovely but we can allow we can allow that wisdom to kind of rise up for us in a way that's so particular and so relevant and so ah what this mind needs you know kind of and is able to see and receive which no one else could have told you you know and then and then and then we let go so you know being able to receive resonate with with image and 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 make use of it and then let go when it's 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 no longer necessary or we can let go of it for now <laughs> and pick it up again you know, when it's when it's needed so um I'd like to close these reflections with uh, another one of my top ten favorite uh, Dharma quotes, quotations from the great Thai forest teacher, uh, Ajahn Chah. Be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool and you will clearly see the nature of all things you will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So, thank you so much for your listening, for your practice, and... Uh, may your practice flourish, deepen and grow for the benefit, for your benefit and the benefit of all beings everywhere. So let's close our time together by chanting the reflection on the show. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.